Hello, listeners. Welcome back to another episode. This is the doctor speaking, diagnosing the intersection between work and learning. I have a great guest today. This is Roxanne, the principal of Pearson College London. Yes, yes, I know. It's my boss. But we're <laughs> going to have a good conversation around work integrated learning. Uh, and so, Roxanne, welcome. Uh, thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here and to talk about all things work integrated learning-ish. Roxanne, tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself, uh, who you are. We, we, we're picking up that accent and don't worry, listeners. <laughs> I know that you know I'm South African and uh, there's, there's no conflict of interest here in terms of uh, cultures. But tell us a little bit more about yourself. Well, the accent that you're picking up is a delightful uh, Surrey and Australian mix. So uh, I'm from Australia, but I've been living here in the UK for about 20 years. And the last 10 years or so of that, I have been establishing and building up Pearson College London. Uh, when I was in Australia, I initially worked as a solicitor, but then I left that and went into the theatre and worked into the, th the, the theatre for a while, educational theatre in particular. And then when I came over to the UK, I ended up working in higher education. Wow, what a brilliant background. I, I bet a lot of that feeds into your your interests around education and work integrated learning with such creativity. So you are the principal of Pearson College London, and uh, I know that one of the key elements that we're looking to develop, and hence our unconference, which we'll talk about a little bit later, is this world of work integrated learning. Tell us a little bit more about your interest in this uh, and how you've engaged and got yourself engrossed in our subject. I think my interest in it really started when my husband was actually studying archaeology at university and he was an older student and during the summer he went and did a few digs at different places which was fantastic experience and when we were talking about it I realized it didn't carry any sort of credit or any recognition whatsoever in relation to the course and I was thinking but there's a lot of fantastic learning that is going on there with what he's doing in the actual real practical side versus what he was learning in the classroom which he also really loved and it made me start to think about democratization of learning. We had these sort of accepted canons in higher education, certain things that you have to have to study. And that's, you know, that's fine. But there are other whole areas where you can learn things really quite deeply and richly and often in a chaotic and unstructured environment, which is much more what the world is actually like. And I was thinking, wouldn't it be great to actually have more of that in your higher education study so that you had much more of a of a mix and all of it was considered part of the learning experience and so when i set up the college the aim from the very beginning was to link classroom study with employers and i did loads and loads of reading beforehand on the different studies and what was the most effective in terms of helping people ultimately in their careers and so on and what i found was that classroom learning of skills based on the reading I did, was not particularly impactful, but what was really impactful was direct engagement with employers. So we built the whole college around this idea of building in direct engagement with employers in as many different ways as we could sort of think of. And I think that, that it does change the canon. It means that genuine experiential learning and genuine projects becomes part of the canon, but the canon is different for each individual person, depending on what they do. And I kind of like that. I kind of like that kind of challenge uh, behind it. But I think that mix of classroom and 
actually standing in the real world trying to achieve something real in all its messy difficulty is a huge and fascinating learning experience. So listening to this, um, and I love it, this idea of, of enabling experience and things beyond the curriculum to be part of our learning environment. What are some of your own ambitions, your, your own goals as principal to ensure that this is embedded within what we are doing in the business school as well as at Escape Studios? So I think that a lot of it is embedded already uh, in the subjects that we do, but I would love us to see, love to see us innovating continually around how we can take that much further. So if you look at Escape Studios, the pedagogy that they use in the undergraduate programs was designed with employers and tested out with students, not our students, because we didn't have any at the time. This is before it started. Uh, and there was a sort of two week trial of all sorts of different things that they did in employers coming in and out at, at, at different points and giving feedback. And that became something we called a studio style pedagogy. So. The, the students on those experiences are acting as far as we can, as if they're in a studio working together in teams, which they don't always like, but you know, tough, that is what it is like when they get out into the, into the industry and producing truly fantastic work, which is shown by loads of awards that, that they've won, et cetera, um, uh, in doing that. So that's one method. In the business school, I would love to see uh, as we go forward, because we're really doubling down on entrepreneurship at the moment, is there being more uh, where students are actually part of a company, a company that they have created or perhaps joining another group of students' companies and actually having that as a big part of their learning. So their experience, and it's a real company, a real company that they could really potentially take with them that could really potentially make a profit. I know most of them that first get set up you're not, not successful, but that whole experience um, is a real thing. And I think that's, uh, that would be a great thing for the business school. But I think there's lots of different ways we can innovate around work integrated learning. Um, so Roxanne, that's uh, really great. Um, indeed, the, the, the new ways of pedagogy, the way in which we can engage with our, our industry partners, um, th these are all extremely rich ways in which our students can learn, not just in a vacuum in terms of the theory, but actually combining that theory in the real world of work. You mentioned entrepreneurial thinking. I, I wonder whether we could just explore that a little bit. I think one of the challenges I'm picking up as we look at work integrated learning is you were talking about these kind of um, uh, these traditional norms. Uh, what was the word you used? Um, the, the, this kind of modes of learning. Uh, which I was talking about the canon. The canon. The, that's the one. Accepted canon. Yeah. There we go. I think sometimes as I've looked at the way in which we approach work integrated learning, sometimes the, the, the canon can also be expressed through industry in the sense of, well, this is how it's done. And yet we are aware that we're getting a younger generation now as students who who want to be innovative. They want to be entrepreneurial. And so we faced with this challenge of how can we change the industry canon to allow our students to to be entrepreneurial and innovative? What would be your comments and, and, and remarks on that? I think that that can be a difficult challenge, but when I speak to employers, a lot of them are very keen, at least intellectually, in the idea of innovation and challenge and thinking about what uh, the younger generation is interested in and how they might like to do things and the sorts of customers that they represent and therefore companies being able to understand their future customer base and so on. So I think there is some uh, power potentially 
in the younger generation's viewpoints on innovation and change, at least in theory. I think in practice, it is quite difficult. When you join a company, particularly a big company, I think in the early years, there is a strong requirement for compliance with whatever processes they already have set up. And that that does make it very difficult. I think there's a lot more scope in SMEs and masses of scope in startups. So it depends what the uh, the student is interested in. But if they're really interested in innovation, you probably want to go for a smaller company where there is a lot more flexibility. And because we, we were talking here about the challenges, again, from your perspective as principal and the research you've done for your PhD, which we'll pick up in a minute, um, in this post-COVID world <laughs> with, uh, you know, the, the, the rising technology, we all had to f very quickly go online. Technology had to advance in order to enable that to happen. Working from home, the change in the way in which that convention is picked up within companies. From your perspective, what do you think are the challenges that are beginning to emerge uh, that we would need to incorporate in terms of work integrated learning across our institutions? So do you mean in terms of preparing students for the future world of work, or do you mean from the employer's perspective? Both and. Okay. So from the employer's perspective, there is undoubtedly a massive and growing skills shortage in relation to technology skills, and companies are becoming more and more dependent on technology. And I think if they think about possible future lockdowns and pandemics and, and whatever that might happen, the need to be able to pivot very easily is going to be a, you know, a big advantage, something that, that most businesses will be thinking about. But there's not enough people who have the various technology skills that are required. So they're definitely struggling to recruit in certain areas. They probably have a surfeit of applications that are non-technology based, but in the technology side, I think that recruitment is difficult and therefore working out, working out how to make sure they have an attractive workplace and how they can upskill existing people is a, is a real challenge. I think from a higher education uh, point of view, the challenges are even deeper than that because you have students who want to study the subjects that they that they want to study they may or may not be interested in learning the the latest technology skill that a company needs right now and of course they don't graduate for three or four years and it could well be a completely different skill by the time that they have finished so I think constructing a curriculum that assures that, that people will be able to go into jobs is actually quite difficult particularly on the timescales that we work at within higher education. And I think from a student perspective, what, what I found in my research, and this was just before the pandemic, so I completed my studies in 2019, so literally a few months before the whole thing kicked off, there was already a growing uh, involvement of technology in the way people find work, not necessarily being a great experience for graduates, but there was definitely a lot more technological decision making and whether or not people are hired. And so the bridge between university and work is a technology bridge in a lot of cases. And universities are not necessarily very aware of what that bridge looks like. So if you're trying to make sure that people are able to cross that bridge into the world of work, there's a whole different set of finding work skills 
uh, and requirements. I hesitate to even call them skills. They're kind of compliance factors that people have to go through to pop out at the other end and actually get a job. And I think that is going to massively increase in the future. And to my mind, that potentially changes the very purpose of a university education, not necessarily in a good way, but I'm just saying that I think it has a big impact on what the role of the university is. I have a colleague from another university who informed me that uh, as a result of COVID, when they are now recruiting uh, teaching staff, the, 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 the technology element is one of the key recruitment elements that has to be proven in order for them to be able to work in the university, in order to be able to then actually teach that to the students. So some 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 really interesting points here. Yes. Um, one of the things uh, I did when I, I was doing my PhD study, and I, I was also uh, widely in the area of, of work integrated learning placements, uh, work-based learning and so on, was the idea of going over and beyond just the economic um, you know, being able to offer graduates, graduate jobs and so on. But actually what we prepare, I guess it's an old way of viewing education, what we're preparing in terms of graduates, professionals, people who know how to comply, uh, act professionally, have professional values in terms of their ethics. Do, do you think this will become a bigger thing as well in the future uh, in terms of higher education institutions? That's an interesting question, particularly your phrase, knowing how to comply. I, I'm not sure that that's something that will leap to the fore of most higher education institutions. I think that there are disciplines that people need to learn, whether it's medicine or law or whatever it is that they're, that they're trying to get into um, as a job. And I think all courses already have professional ethics uh, where it's relevant embedded into them. I think there is going to be a requirement for a higher level of compliance from uh, graduates entering jobs and other employees as well. Uh, I don't know that universities will want to teach them how to do that, and I'm not sure that they should. Um, Roxanne, you uh, finished your studies um, in 2019. Was there anything else that came out of your research that was quite significant? Well, for this discussion, I, I think one of the things that really surprised me was how irrelevant the degree was, uh, because we spent we spend a lot of time and effort in designing our degrees and making sure there's a lot of employer input into them. But actually, what I found uh, through all the interviews that I did is that the degree itself was only discussed in one instance of one job application, at least as reported to me, and. The, the interest that employers had, this is in like the final stages of the, the interviews, the interest that they had was really about things that people did outside the degree. So the degree itself has increasingly become, it seems, a hygiene factor. So you may need it to, to, be, to be even considered, but the actual what's in the degree is not something that employers seem to dig around and find out much about. And you could take that as a compliment. They trust that the degree has all the necessary stuff in it, or you could take it as highly problematic that it's not actually very relevant to employers making a decision about who to actually employ. And yet at the same time, from a regulatory point of view within higher education, everything is becoming about employment outcomes and pay and whether or not they're in highly skilled jobs and so on. So I think there is a bit of a, a disconnect there, which is uh, interesting possibly problematic, possibly also freeing. It could mean a university could say, okay, 
we'll teach whatever we like in the degree because that doesn't actually matter from the employer's point of view. Uh, so I thought that was I thought that was interesting, and even the the people I interviewed were very surprised that it didn't come up nothing nothing about what they had studied, what they found the most interesting, what they thought they were best at. It was all things outside the degree, apart from one example. Very very interesting. Did you did you find that um, although the the degree was almost a given, as you said, a hygiene factor, was the mark that they attained an important factor in that as well? No, grades were never discussed, never mentioned in in any of the uh, interviews that I had. They would have been sifted originally. So when people put their CV in, I was looking at, uh, I was interviewing the graduates about the process they had gone through. So I wasn't interviewing the employers. There's already a lot of information out there where employers are interviewed. Uh, so they would have been sifted. So it is possible that they sifted on a 2-2 or a 2-1. Based on looking at graduate schemes, a lot of companies sift on a 2-1, but that is only graduate schemes and they do employ only 5% of graduates. So I'm not even sure that the sifting was relevant for the vast majority. Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Yes. <laughs> uh, Roxanne, we are probably just scratching the surface of what potentially is actually quite a deep subject. So listeners, this is part of the reason why we are hosting uh, as Pearson College London an unconference starting on the 1st of July 2022. The idea is that we'll bring all kinds of stakeholders together and we'll have a conversation around some of these challenging issues which impact industry, the students, higher educational institutions, and we will work together and on a day event on the 27th, 27th of July, we will then come together and uh, in, in some ways collate our ideas and thinking and thoughts uh, around what we've been engaging with along the way. Please look out for um, the first episode podcast with uh, Chris, where we are going to be using Bubble uh, as a way in which we're going to be engaging on a forum basis on uh, all the way through July. Do look out on the description of this podcast. I'll be putting down those uh, updated descriptions and how you can sign up for that unconference. Roxanne, it has been an absolute pleasure to be able to speak with you today. Um, I've put up a couple of links as well on the description just so people can find you and if they'd like to continue having any conversations with you uh, as a result of this podcast they will be able to uh, get in touch with you. Yes great it's been fantastic and good luck with the unconference I'm looking forward to it. Great thank you very much thank you listeners and speak to you soon. You've been listening to the doctor and he just dissected the intersection between work and learning.